0: listening to the pharmacy podcast network since 2009 the pharmacy podcast has been leading podcast publications as the insider voice of the pharmacy industry explore the profession and business of pharmacy through audio join us at pharmacypodcast.com or subscribe on apple podcasts spotify google or any of your favorite podcast directories you are listening to beyond the sig a prescription for transformative pharmacy care Season 2 of Beyond the Sig is supported by the Pennsylvania Department of Health in partnership with the Pennsylvania Pharmacists Association. Funding was provided through the Preventative Health and Health Services Block Grant from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The contents of this podcast are solely the responsibility of the presenters and do not necessarily represent the official views of the Pennsylvania Department of Health or the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The Pennsylvania Pharmacists Association's podcast, Beyond the Sig, is a proud member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the second season of the Beyond the Sig podcast, giving a shot about diabetes. My name is Isabel Litvak, and I'm hosting today's episode alongside my co-host, Rachel Hay. Hey, Rachel. Hi, how's it going? Pretty good. I'm really excited about today's guest. Today we have on Dr. Susan Cornell, and she's the Associate Director of Experiential Education and the Professor in the Department of Pharmacy Practice at Midwestern University College of Pharmacy in Downers Grove, Illinois. Dr. Cornell is also a Certified Diabetes Care and Education Specialist. She currently practices with the Bolinbrook Christian Health, where she trains, educates, and supervises students from the Colleges of Medicine, Pharmacy, Dental, and Health Sciences as well as provides diabetes education classes and individualized diabetes care and medication therapy management. Dr. Cornell has been invited to give numerous presentations to various healthcare professionals and community groups worldwide. She has served as an educator as well as published and contributed to many peer-reviewed and professionally written and online publications. Recently, Dr. Cornell served as the associate editor of the ADCES Diabetes Desk Reference 5th edition. So we are so excited to have Dr. Cornell on. How are
2: you, Susan? Thanks, Isabel. Thanks, Rachel. It's so good to be here. Thanks for having me today. Um, like I say, very excited and anytime we talk about diabetes, it's, it's always an adventure for me. Oh, for sure. And we're so excited to
1: have you. You have so much experience in diabetes education. So we're just going to dive right in. And if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got involved with diabetes education and your background
2: be happy to and and you know being the old person in the room here uh, I will say we could be here for hours if you want the whole history so Let's I'll, do I'll try to <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm gonna try to you know sum it up but bottom line is you know obviously I graduated you know seriously being the old person in the room I graduated many many years ago and I was practicing pharmacy in the in the 90s 1990s that is and One of the things that I found interesting because I was a community pharmacy uh, practitioner, um, my mom had developed diabetes at that time and you know, you have to appreciate this was before many of the landmark clinical trials. So we're all familiar with the diabetes, uh, you know, complication trial. And that came out, the DCCT that came out in the late 90s. So this is pre-DCCT. This is pre-UK PDS. And my mom was, you know, diagnosed and I was realizing that the quality of care and treatment was suboptimal. And you know, again, we're going back to where Metformin hadn't even come out yet. So this was where our only choices of medicine were sulfonylureas and insulin. But once again, the quality of care wasn't there. And as diabetes started to expand and metformin did become available, and we had all of these landmark trials where they talked about tight control, I started to realize, hey, you know, this isn't good. My mom is not being appropriately cared for. I need to get more involved. And as I did, I learned back then about the Certified Diabetes Educator credential. Again, practicing in community pharmacy, and you've had to build up practice hours seeing patients for doing diabetes management Um, so you know it was something that I was interested in and as I started to become interested in diabetes and learn more about what the role of an educator was and I was helping my mom I started to realize how many of the patients coming into the community pharmacy could benefit and you know they were not receiving proper care as well and so this is where I decided I need to do something about this. Uh, Now, again, because this was a long time ago, many of the drug companies would come in and sponsor events. You know, so this is before the Sunshine Act and there were rules and regulations put in. So I partnered with some of the pharmaceutical companies, mainly the device companies, because this was where self-testing, home blood glucose meters was becoming very popular. And so I would partner with these reps and we would go to, physician offices, and I would say, hey, you know, doc, you don't have the time to teach your patient about how to use this monitor. Send them to me. I will teach them how to use the monitor. And by a pharmacist teaching the patient how to use this blood glucose monitor that counts as diabetes hours and so logging my hours because you have to log your hours in order to sit for the exam every time I would meet with a patient to teach them how to use a meter I was able to log that hour or so well or half hour and that's how I started to accumulate hours but then you know, again, just like any patient, and I know both of you ladies work in clinic, you have to schedule a follow-up visit. So just because you teach a patient how to use a meter doesn't mean that they're going to use it correctly. And even if they do use it correctly right in front of you, when you teach them two or three months later, they may develop some different habits and that's where you want to follow up. So how's the meter working for you? What are the numbers that you're getting? What do those numbers mean to you? You know, what do you know about diabetes? And so just by a community pharmacist intervening and teaching a patient about a blood glucose monitor allowed me to, you know, kind of segue into providing more education about diabetes. And over time, you know, several physicians were like, oh, wow, you can do this with teaching a patient how to use a monitor. Can you teach them how to use insulin? Sure. (laughs) So this is where, you know, yes, I will be happy to help. And then from there is where I actually accumulated hours. Again, going back then in the 90s, you had to have 2,000 hours to sit for the CDE exam Uh, Now it's down to 1,000 hours, which is more attainable, especially for community pharmacists. And then I sat for the exam, and once I passed, obviously, a certified diabetes educator. Now, of course, in the past two years, that credential name took on a change. So, you know, we're kind of, when I say we, certified diabetes educators, we are changing our image a little because we do more than just education, you know, especially pharmacists or uh, prescribers physician assistants, nurse practitioners, even physicians who are certified diabetes educators do above and beyond education. And so to better capture what a diabetes educator does, the organization, uh, which is the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists, now changed the credential to Certified Diabetes Care and Education Specialist. So, for your listeners out there, you know, so many of them are probably going, Oh, I'm familiar with the CDE, but what is this CDES? Uh, you know, this is just a name change. So, it's the same thing, just uh, rebranded. So, simple rebranding. And more encompassing. So, Right, right. So long story, but uh, like I say, you know, seeing a lot of changes, positive changes, and I'm very happy to see more pharmacists involved.
3: Yeah, thank you so much, Susan, for um, kind of sharing with us a little bit more about your background. I thought it was really interesting to hear, you know, just a little bit more about your story and how your mom's diagnosis with diabetes kind of sparked this all for you. And then I also thought it was really interesting to hear about how you got involved with diabetes education, just starting out with teaching patients how to use a glucometer. Um, So I guess kind of fast forwarding to today and your current practice, can you tell us a little bit more about your DSMES classes?
2: Sure. So, you know, of course, life happens whenever you make plans. And as pharmacists, there's so many opportunities for us. And although I enjoyed very much working in community pharmacy, um, an opportunity came up with a shared faculty position at Midwestern University. And it was between Midwestern University and another community pharmacy. Um, So, you know, jumped on board and took this, but then due to, again, changes, the, my position at the community pharmacy kind of dissolved. So went to the university full time at that point, but once again, as a credentialed specialist, so as a certified diabetes care and education specialist, one of the challenges is you do need to kind of continue to practice to recertify. And although how you practice can be a little bit more simplified, still keeping my hand in practice was very important to me. Um, I always believed we learn best from our patients. You know, how can I, as a diabetes specialist, get up and teach students or other diabetes specialists if I myself am not practicing. Um, So fortunately at the university, there was a new project that was started through APHA, through the American Pharmacists Association. Um, A group of my students had received a grant and it funded teaching diabetes in underserved community clinics. And so naturally the students came to me and said, we'd like for you to be involved. And so we partnered with various clinics. And again, this started in 2004. So at that time we partnered with Access Health and and we went in and it was students from the College of Medicine, the Physician Assistant Program and Pharmacy. And together the students under faculty supervision team taught diabetes education classes to people in underserved community clinics. Very well received, obviously good interprofessional education. We made a huge impact and our name got out there. And of course, other clinics started to reach out. So over the years, this has evolved. I will say things have changed in the past nearly 20 years of doing this, where education classes can be um, valuable, but not always well attended. And so when we found that we were not getting larger numbers of patients coming to the classes, and we had more students than we did patients, uh, this became a little bit of a concern. And so then we started to look into more one-on-one education, which seemed to improve, but As pharmacists, one of, of course, our struggles with us not being providers, uh, oftentimes patients don't know why they need to come see the pharmacist. (laughs) And so what we found to be beneficial and how we changed this is by making it a one-stop shop meaning the patient would come in to see the prescriber but simultaneously or before or after seeing the prescriber see the pharmacist so it was two appointments in one time frame and this allowed us to assess the patient's adherence issues, make recommendations for any medication changes, and then make sure that after the medical visit, we followed up with any changes in education that went along. Um, This seemed to at least improve the show rate of patients coming into the clinic because they were seeing the pharmacist as well as the prescriber at the same time. Uh, We still continue this today, but over time, it became very clear that the patients maybe didn't need to see the prescriber, but they did need to see us, the pharmacist. And when I say that it's because at the same time we are providing once again, that diabetes education. So by doing diabetes education simultaneously to medication management, it allows us to provide a more well-rounded coverage for the patient. Yeah, so that's fast forwarding. And of course we just adapt as, as the patient needs.
1: Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for sharing uh, all the details and even the challenges that you faced at the clinic there. Um, I'm curious to know how that's transpired now with just because I know that at my clinic, we have some no show rates even with the doctor. Um, And that's one thing about community pharmacy that you don't have someone that doesn't show up because they always have to pick up their medication. So I'm curious how you've been able to overcome maybe some of those barriers too and how do your appointments go hand in hand because I haven't yet heard about kind of like MTM and diabetes education in one appointment before
2: Yeah, yeah actually that's that's kind of the fun part for pharmacists is because we can do that we can actually bill for medication therapy management and bill for diabetes education if you're a recognized program. Now, with that being said, the current clinic I'm in is not a recognized program because of the fact that we are an underserved community clinic. So, you know, we don't do um, we don't do third-party billing where I'm at currently. In my previous practice in community pharmacy, we did actually have an American Diabetes Association, so ADA, recognized education programs Program and this was in the early two thousands. And keeping in mind that for a pharmacy to receive recognition, that was very challenging, um, because in order to have a recognized program, you have to have again approval, so to speak, from either the American Diabetes Association or now from the ADCES, American Association or Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists. And so those are the two. Uh, bodies that will provide recognition for your program. One of the challenges was that when you go to Medicare and CMS and you say, I'm a recognized program, I want a provider number, because pharmacists aren't recognized as providers, CMS struggles to understand why they're giving a provider number to a pharmacist for a recognized program. So... The ADA, American Diabetes Program, does require you have a dietician on your team. And so in the community pharmacy that I worked at, we did have a dietitian who is also a pharmacist, by the way, and she actually was the person who had to do the billing. So despite the fact that I was the coordinator of the program and ran the program, my dietitian, Tracy, had to actually do the billing in order for us to get reimbursed because dietitians are recognized as providers, but pharmacists are not. Now, ADCES, you can become recognized from them and you do not need to have a dietitian on your team. All you need to do is have be a healthcare provider that is qualified to be a CDCES. Um, again, getting used to the new credentials, but bottom line is as long as you're qualified to be that, type, that provider um, or they have that credential, you can have a program. Once again, going back to there are many pharmacies that have recognized programs, but struggle to get a Medicare provider number because we cannot bill with that being said you can get the medicare provider number through cms but again if you don't have that dietitian who's a provider or a physician or a nurse practitioner or a pa someone who's a provider that can sign off you will not get reimbursed so going back to when i worked at dominic's pharmacy which was a safeway company back in the you know early 2000s um, again i had a dietitian. so not only could we bill for mtm services we could bill for diabetes education simultaneously on the same day. So we could have a class where Tracy, my dietitian, ran the class and we're billing for DSME, but then I'm meeting separately with the patient to go over their meds. And so again, two different billing codes. Uh, it becomes a little more challenging these days, but again, it's still uh, um, an opportunity for reimbursement. And then now if you look at it in today's day and age, pharmacists are being able to bill for continuous glucose monitoring, especially if they are in an ambulatory care practice. And so there is another opportunity there for reimbursement from the pharmacist, you know, especially again, because without us having that provider status, we struggle to really have good reimbursement or return an investment for our position within an ambulatory care practice. Yeah, I know it's very confusing and it's struggling for many pharmacists to understand. Um, but again, this is the reason why we, we need provider status.
3: Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for that clarification. Like you said, it kind of gets confusing, but that was a really great explanation. Um, that just helped me understand it so much better. So I really appreciate that. Um, so I guess kind of going back to your classes, I know that you mentioned that you um, worked with a dietitian. Um, so tell me, like, who runs the classes and who's all
2: involved with that? Yeah, and you can be very flexible with this. So running classes, there's not one right way. Um, I have worked in programs where I was responsible for teaching the medication my dietitian was responsible for teaching carb counting nutrition that type of a, a thing we had a nurse who would come in and do talks about you know foot care eye care etc so you can have a multidiscipline class to where everybody does their own role but at the same time, there could be a little blending. And so for example, uh, you know, it's not unusual that I would talk about medications in my class, but then how do the medications work and how does food affect medications? So I'll bring in my dietitian, and together the two of us will team teach nutrition and medication and how they're intertwined. So, you know, you don't have to stick to an exact script and then get creative. Um, I can tell you I know one of our favorite and most well attended classes at the current clinic I'm at at Bowling Clinic was when we did salsa dancing with salsa making. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. So again, we're talking exercise as well as food and it, it's, you know, win-win situation. Okay, we really need to get more creative, Rachel. Right <laughs> now I, <know>, I have <laughs> our own classes.
1: <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. Wow. Okay. Definitely need to write that down. And for those of you listening, salsa, dancing and food. <laughs> That's so great. Um,
3: can you, Susan, tell us a little bit more um, about the classes
2: and maybe any patient success stories that you've had? Absolutely. Um, I think one of the best ways to know that what you're doing is really worthwhile is when your patients start to teach your classes. And, you know, we had, so, you know, going with this, and, and this was in a different free clinic previous to where I'm at now. Um, I, the previous clinic I was in was the DuPage Community Clinic. They, they've closed down at this point. Um, but we would run our classes. And uh, let me back up by saying uh, many of these free clinics are a resource for a variety of patients from different backgrounds, different cultures. Many struggle with English as a second language. Um, Oftentimes they have to bring in a family member to interpret. Uh, One of the nice things working at a college of pharmacy is we have students who are multilingual. And so we will try to accommodate by having a student who speaks the person's language to teach the class. at the DuPage Community Clinic when we were there I can remember one time where we were running classes simultaneously in English, Spanish and Urdu. So, you know, different rooms, you know, the we had three different classrooms running and students were basically presenting and it was always the same topic but again, multilingual, you know, the different different multilingual i should say uh, so that was always something that was interesting however in the Eng- i will speak to the english class there was a patient and even though this was a series of four classes and they had they would come you know every wednesday wednesday evenings for four weeks in a row and attend each of the classes to then graduate (laughs) from the diabetes class Uh, we had one gentleman who liked to just come back on a regular basis and he would get up and he would share his story so as patients would start to talk together about well what about you know what works for you and what works for me and this and that and I can remember vividly one lady was talking about how you know potato chips she loves potato chips and she just didn't know what to do and she doesn't by them because of the fact that you know she We'll eat them if they're in the house. And there was a gentleman who had been through our class now four times, and I'm not kidding. He's he's our frequent flyer, but he loved to come. And he got up and he shared his personal story and about how he learned to use portion size and how we as a class, you know, with this class had helped him. And so he started sharing his story with the patient to where the patients in the class were asking this other patient, questions and so I found it it turned more into a support group than it did a class which then came we came up with the idea of adding a support group so for all of those who graduated we would have an in essence an open mic night and they could come and they can share their stories with others Um, so, you know, it, it worked for a while. It was challenging because once again, sometimes you'd get three people that show up and sometimes you'd get seven, you know, so getting a, a, a solid number was often challenging, but again, something to give a try. That's amazing. I love how
1: they love the class so much and it's made such a huge impact on their lives that they want to go scream it off the rooftops and share it with everybody. And like you said, when your patient is able to teach somebody else or they even say that in pharmacy school, that if you could teach somebody else a specific topic, then you're good. You're golden. You don't need to study anymore. Like that's how you learn best. So I think that's such an amazing story. Thank you for sharing. So I know you talk a lot about ADCES, so I want to definitely ask you about that for our listeners who are possibly interested to share more about your involvement with it and what are some of its benefits and how community pharmacists or ambulatory
2: care pharmacists could also get involved. Yeah, and really, you know, um, Isabel, it's it's interesting because ADCES as well as ADA, American Diabetes Association, um, you know, two very big associations here in the United States. And let me backtrack by saying, you know, one of the things that I find very interesting, and, and this is part of the reason that I became so involved with both organizations, is because pharmacists are a minority in the diabetes world. You know, we, we don't realize that. And it's, it is very, um, it's an eye-opener. You know, it's very concerning. So for an example, coming up in a few weeks is the American Diabetes Association. uh, Scientific sessions, it's in New Orleans and, you know, a big event back back in person in general. So, you know, years ago, it was not unusual that there would probably be about 15,000 people in attendance at the American Diabetes meeting. Of the 15,000, there would be about 50, 50 pharmacists, unless they work for industry. So, but these are practicing pharmacists. Now, granted, the pharmacist number will be up a little higher because many work for industry. And so that will take us to maybe, maybe into the couple hundred range. But still, when you're talking 15,000 compared to a few hundred, that's how small we are. Now, granted, American Diabetes Scientific Sessions does tend to be more for research-based. So let's then go into ADCES. You know, so this is definitely a multidiscipline group. But still, if we look at the membership of ADCES, they will accept any healthcare professional that is eligible, and and even those you know that are uh, support staff. So pharmacy technicians, medical assistants, they can actually be members of ADCES. So anybody interested in Diabetes in a healthcare professional field. But when we talk about the membership, I would guesstimate near near 50% is nurses. About 35% is dietitians. And once again, about 10% is pharmacists. And then we have exercise physiologists, you have physical therapists, occupational therapists, PAs, nurse practitioners, physicians. So, you know, again not a lot of pharmacists are involved. And what surprised me is when talking to nurses, dietitians, physicians, and they would say, oh, you know, who are you and what do you do? And I say, well, I'm Susan Cornell and I'm a pharmacist. Well, what does a pharmacist do in diabetes? Oh no. And I always feel like no one knows what we do. We're underappreciated, we're underutilized, and no one is aware of everything that a pharmacist can do. So whether you're in community, ambulatory care, hospital, managed care, um, specialty care, pharmacists have a role and they have a role in diabetes. And especially now, as a matter of fact, I was just on a, a call recently talking about the role of the hospital pharmacist in continuous glucose monitoring. So, you know, again, no matter where you practice, you do touch people with diabetes. And therefore, any pharmacist in any position is really able to specialize and become a certified diabetes care and education specialist. And the more we have, the more we can showcase our value. I'm fortunate, again, being the old person in the room, that, you know, when I first started in this it became clear to me that there weren't a lot of pharmacists. And so many opportunities came my way because I was, Oh, you're a pharmacist and you're a CDE. Wow. That's a unique combination. And so many opportunities came my way, but now what I'm trying to do is, you know, roll this over, uh, pay it forward and have young people like you, as well as my students to kind of, you know, come on into the field and, don't put yourself in a silo. So don't look just at pharmacy. If you are looking at pharmacy and diabetes, you need to look into the associations that really will help you develop as a diabetes specialist.
1: Well, that pretty much leads me into my next question, Mm -hmm. because it was all going to be about how we can get certified as pharmacists. How can we lead classes, the tips and the strategies you have, because you have so much words of wisdom that we need to take all of it in.
2: Yeah, so I, I think the biggest thing to do is anyone who's interested, very seriously look to become a certified diabetes care and education specialist. Now, with that being said, again, the association, uh, the association of diabetes care and education specialists, ADCES, they're the ones that provide continued education. They will help you to gain the knowledge you need to become confident in what you're doing. In order to take the exam, you will have to go to the the board, so it's the National and and again it used to be the, you know, NCBDE, uh, but now of course they're they've changed for, you know, changed their acronym as well. And so the National Board of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists, they provide the exam. So if you go to to see what the exam is like, that's where you would go, the board, to do that. However, ADCS can actually link you to that. In addition, there's also board certified, administra- um, I'm sorry, board certified in advanced diabetes management. So that's another credential that pharmacists can do if they feel that they can't get enough hours for their uh, specialist exam, if that makes sense. So there's there's two kind of different credentials you can get within diabetes. So it's the CDCES and then the BCADM. The BCADM is housed under ADCES. I feel like I'm just doing alphabet soup here. <laughs> um, but if, you know, if we think about it, you have to decide which one is best for you. In either case, both are very good credentials. I will say um, the CDCS actually opens up more doors, but it doesn't necessarily close opportunities. So people recognize it more there's a lot of referrals. And especially if you're gonna be running classes as a pharmacist, CDCES, you have more opportunities. BCAADM is still great, don't get me wrong, but there's a lot more opportunities with the the Diabetes Care and Education Specialist credential. So, like I said, a lot of alphabet soup. I know if anybody has questions, I'm happy to address them.
1: Yeah, why don't you drop your email
2: really quick? Sure, it's S-C-O-R-N-E at midwestern.edu. So again, S-C-O-R-N-E at midwestern.edu.
3: Awesome. Well, thank you, Susan. I just wanted to you know tell you how appreciative I am for you to come on here and give us all this great advice. Um, I'm definitely taking notes here on the side so that way I can figure out you know what I want to get involved with eventually. So thank you. Great. Thanks for having me tonight.
2: It's been a pleasure to be with you.
1: Thank you so much, Susan. Thank you, Dr. Susan Cornell, for sharing your insights and wisdom with us today. I am so overjoyed with this conversation, and we thank everyone for tuning in to the DSMES series, Giving a Shot About Diabetes. We'll see you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of Beyond the SIG. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and others on the Pharmacy Podcast Network on any of your favorite podcast directories.